There will now be an opportunity for silent prayer or meditation. Thank you, please be seated. Honorable members, I wish to announce that the vacancy which occurred in the National Assembly owing to the resignation of Mr. Titi Mboweni has been filled by the nomination of Ms. M. L. Peterson with effect from the 24th February 2022. The member made a subscribe and subscribe to the oath in the deputy speaker's office. I want to welcome you, honorable member. You may stand that they see you. Thank you very much. A reminder, honorable members, the protocols have not changed and let us keep ourselves safe. Uh, I don't want to see myself uh, asking people to put their masks on. I can because of the distance I have with my uh, table assistance. Please, let's keep on doing that until we are advised otherwise. First item on today's order paper, is questions addressed to the ministers in cluster one, peace and security. Just for a reminder, there are four supplementary questions on each question. Parties have given an indication of which questions their members wish to pose a supplementary question. Adequate notice was given to parties for this purpose. This was done to facilitate participation of members who are connecting to the sitting through the virtual platform. The members who will pose supplementary questions will be recognized by the presiding officer. In allocating opportunities for supplementary questions, the principle of fairness, among others, has been applied. If a member who is supposed to ask a supplementary question through the virtual platform is unable to do so due to technological difficulties, the party whip on duty will be allowed to ask the question on behalf of their member. When all supplementary questions have been answered by the executive, we will proceed to the next question uh, on the question paper. The first question, honorable members, has been asked by the honorable G.L. Muyera to the Minister of International Relations and Cooperation. The Honourable, the Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Oh, thank uh, you, Honourable uh, Deputy Minister. I have been informed 
that you will be taking care of the questions for international relations. Thank you very much. You may proceed. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Our response is as follows. The work undertaken by respective missions globally is an extension of our domestic priorities. As you will recall, at the center of the sixth administration's economic agenda is driving inward and outward investment opportunities to accelerate economic growth and create a conducive environment for job opportunities, critically to addressing the triple challenges which the COVID-19 outbreak has exacerbated. The mission operations are aligned with the sixth administration objectives. Therefore, in practice, they implement economic diplomacy programs within their annual performance plan that seek to promote South Africa as a preferred investment and tourism destination. We have to this effect through the Directorate Trade and Investment Promotion Establish system to oversee and coordinate economic diplomacy activities to identify tangible investment leads and information management with the mission and external stakeholders. In addition, Chair, we have observed that initiatives undertaken by the missions to support the investment conference since inception are bearing fruit and with growing interest and participation of foreign investors. I thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. The Honorable Muyela. House Chair, thank you very much for the opportunity. Thank you, uh, Honorable Deputy Minister, uh, Candidate Mashiko Tlamini, for the response provided here to the House and to the nation. Just a follow-up uh, question, uh, Honorable Deputy Minister. South Africa will be hosting another investment conference this year, as we have alluded. Are there any specific activities that will be undertaken by our missions abroad to encourage investors to consider South Africa as an investment destination of choice as part of the build-up a program towards this investment conference that we're talking about. Thank you very much, House Chair and the Deputy Minister. Thank you. The Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Chairperson. For the coming uh, investment conference that we will be hosting here in South Africa, all our missions are mobilizing uh, investors from their different from the different countries of their deployment. Uh, they always use uh, other breakfast or tea uh, or whatever or open days just to promote the opportunities that are available in South Africa. So all our our, our missions are busy uh, uh, trying their best to make sure that they create interest to our international investors to attend the conference and invest in South Africa as they did in all other conferences that took place. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you. The next follow-up question will come from the Honorable Bergman. 
Chairperson, I'm taking that. No problem, Mr. Faber, you may proceed. Thank you, Chairperson. We know that COVID hurt. Sorry. Okay. We know that COVID hurt our tourism industry tremendously in the last two years as one of our mainstream incomes for South Africa. Once the bans were lifted, the DA City of Cape Town and Cape Town Tourism Initiatives focused on key source cities like Munich, London, and New York with strategic marketing campaigns to attract international visitors. The results showed a super 58% recovery in overseas tourism in the Western Cape during the December, January period. Now, what will your department do differently through our embassies to ensure that tourism to South Africa through the economic diplomacy program increase as we have seen little progress up to date? Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable the Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Chairperson. There are many activities that are going on in our mission as it stands. And I know there are serious exhibitions that are happening, especially in our missions abroad, to exhibit the tourism sites that are here in South Africa. So that's, that, that's the, 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 the other issues that they are doing now. So I hope that tourists will come to South Africa more so most of our people here in South Africa have vaccinated. Uh, others are still left to do the, 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 the booster. But then I still say to, to, to the members that um, we need really to make sure that everybody uh, get vaccinated so that we need not to scare our, our tourists as they come to South Africa. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you. The Honorable Mishra. Thank you, House Chair. The economic diplomacy program should bring in foreign direct investment more than ever before. Even though South African taxpayers are under huge financial pressure as a result of high unemployment in our country, they are nevertheless still required to fund diplomatic missions to over 100 countries. My question, Deputy Minister, is whether all the diplomatic missions we have abroad have successful economic diplomacy programs that have resulted in bringing foreign direct investments that have grown our economy. And if not, what value for money does our country get from diplomatic missions that are just spending money with no tangible returns in the form of much-needed jobs. Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable the Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Um, uh, to the Honorable Member, all our missions and our ambassadors and high commissioners, they have signed a performance agreement and economic growth is part of their performance agreement. And as such, They've got a responsibility, all of them, to make sure that they put means in place to make sure that they interact with business people in the countries of their deployment and make sure that people get interested to come to South Africa. So we hope that as we assess our, our officials, especially the high commissioners and ambassadors, we'll be assessing them also 
in line with what they've 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 signed as part of their performance agreement, economic uh, uh, recovery. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you. The last follow-up question on this uh, question number thirteen will be from the Honourable Kwankwa. The Honourable Kwankwa. Okay. He's not on the platform. We proceed. Thank you. Honorable Kwankwa is not on the platform. We proceed to question number 41. Asked by the Honorable Whitfield to the Minister of Police. Honorable the Minister. Question 41. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair, Honorable Members, Member Honorable Joseph. The estimate of national expenditure 2022 provides for additional funding for the recruitment of entry-level constables over the medium-term period. Total of 12,000 entry-level constable posts. Uh, Honorable Minister, I'm sorry to disturb you. I think the mic is too low. And you have in the file above it, the, the sound is not so good. Eh? <laughs> I don't know what to do. Yes, the, the, the file was obscuring the sound. Okay. <laughs> A total of 12,000 entry-level constables posts have been provided for, of which 7,000 entry-level constables will be appointed in the 22-23 financial year and the other 5,000 in 23-24 financial year. In addition, 3,000 posts were advertised in the 21-22 financial year and this Members will be will undergo training in 22-23 financial year. Therefore, a total of 10,000 recruits will be trained in 20 in 2022. That is 10,000 plus 5,000. Thanks. Thank you, the Honourable Minister, Honourable Whitfield. Thank you very much, House Chairperson. In 2012, the SAPs employed 200,000 personnel. This was to a police to citizen ratio of 1 to 254. Ten years later, this year, SAPs employs 175,000 personnel with a police to citizen ratio of 1 to 330. According to the police's own restructuring plan, personnel will continue to decline to 163,000 by 2024. This is the police's official restructuring plan. This will put the police to citizen ratio close to one to 400. We know that these personnel cuts are going to hit visible policing the hardest, which is good news for criminals and bad news for community safety. We welcome the president's announcement of an additional 12,000 officers and the increase in the budget of 8.7 billion, but this is still less than 10% of the total budget. And according to SAPS's own calculations, will still result in a net loss of personnel by 2024. Will the minister guarantee to this house that not a single cent of the 8.7 billion rand increase to the SAPS budget be spent on the top heavy 
senior management, including the golden handshake payment to the National Police Commissioner? And will he commit to streamlining the SAP's fixed establishment to reduce the number of highly paid brigadiers and generals in favor of more frontline policing? Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. The answer would be yes, but uh, uh, I, I hear what Honorable Member says. Indeed, in 2012, there were 195,500 police, which give the round figure of 200,000. At the present moment, they are not 175, they are 177,000. Uh, which is 2,000 extra than what you said. Chairperson, uh, 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 it's, uh, it's true that uh, there are several things that have caused the, uh, the, the numbers declining, natural people dying, leaving the organization, and uh, less uh, recruitment. I think that has changed. President has changed that through the Minister of Finance that these figures are coming, which will improve visibility, will improve the ratio policy, but also will improve the special special units. As you know, uh, Honorable Wilfield, that uh, most most of most of the special units. They, they need the young blood, your POOP, your special task force, your NIU, your TRT, your CATS. They need the young blood. Uh, to such an extent that most of these figures you see here will be absorbed uh, on those, on those uh, special units with the hope that we will be able to get some figures going forward. Indeed, uh, people have, uh, the, the organization has gone down but we believe that under present dispensation, that will be corrected. Might take a little bit of time, but you are in the process of correcting. Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The next follow-up question will come from the Honorable Peacock. Thank you, House Chair. Uh, to the Minister, how will the increase of the, of the recruit be able to assist in addressing recommendation raised by the high level panel report on capacity as well as public order policy. The Honorable the Minister. Thanks, Chair. Uh, the, the, there have been quite several recommendations on these matters. One of those recommendations is FALAM recommendation but also on the uh, uh, high expect, expects recommendations made by the team of uh, Professor Cindy Africa. They have suggested the visibility. They have suggested the, the, the question of uh, feeding those, uh, those uh, units but especially unit they spoke about is the same that Falam spoke about, which is, is POP, public order policy, but also to increase the young blood at the station level and the better training uh, on, the, on, on those that work at the station. Uh, but Jefferson, 
on the recruitment that is happening now, we are recruiting 200 BSc students uh, to be part of policy so that they go to the laboratories, they deal with cell forensic, science and all that. So specifically, we're recruiting that group of people, but we're also recruiting accountants so that they can go on the specialized units like your, your, your DPCI, and then we're not just moving only as, as it has been recommended, we're not just moving only on the quantity, but we're also dealing with the quality of the organization. Thanks. Thank you. The Honorable Shembeni, opportunity to pose your follow-up question. Thank you, Honorable Chair. Minister, the problem of policing crime in this country rests much on the lack of leadership by those in leadership positions at the SAPS. The management of the SAPS is highly bloated. With about 200 generals and over 600 brigadiers, and together, their salaries are over a billion rand per year. In order to build a good number of police boots on the ground, why have you not considered trimming the fat at the top in order to employ more police who will do the actual policing on the ground? Thank you, Chair. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. Well, indeed, Chair. The same question asked initially by Honorable Griffith. We are working on flattening of the structure. Uh, we agree. The structure is too much high going forward. There are too many, <laughs> starting from, from Lieutenant Colonels, Colonels, Brigadiers, Major Generals, Generals, and all. We, we agree. And there's a big money that is going there. What, what, what is happening on the present restructuring? is that there is an amalgamation of the divisions there so that uh, you, you find fewer generals and fewer, uh, uh, and fewer deputy generals and fewer divisional commissioners. By the way, generals are DGs and uh, uh, divisional commissioners are, are, are deputy director generals. So we are taking on board what is saying. All this money that is put there, we're working hard that it must go on the ground, train the new, uh, train the new uh, constables, but also improve on the skills of that, that those are there. And little money, if it should be, go at the top. We are very much aware and working on it. Thanks. Thank you. The last follow-up will be from the Honorable Sheikiman. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. Minister, first of all, allow me to congratulate the men and women in blue for a very successful week, particularly Rosettenville and then Delmas and then, of course, arresting the kingpin and the hijacking and kidnapping. Now, Minister, your predecessor agreed in Parliament that in order to those with passion and commitment in the police force, you need to include it in the curriculum at basic education level. Are you speaking to your counterpart in the Department of Basic Education to include maybe policing in the uh, uh, curriculum? Very importantly, and the reason why I say this, Minister, is this, you're now going to have 12,000. By the time you train them, 
and they gain experience, you've lost a couple of years. And very importantly, I want you to understand, Mr. President, Mr. Uh, 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 Minister, is that many of them that are skilled have left the police force as a result of the retirement age coming to 55. Secondly, because they're unhappy in terms of the promotion. Question Thirdly, time. the private sector is attracting them with better salaries and benefits. Thank you. Proceed, Honorable Minister. Well, Jefferson, we haven't spoken to the basic uh, education, but we have spoken to the higher education. In Amanskral, we are establishing under the leadership of the deputy minister, we're establishing a university college where we'll be in collaboration with the with the FBI, uh, with the people from uh, London, Scotland Yard to train our people there. Even yesterday, there was a meeting of taking that forward. The deputy minister has gone to those places he has been in FBI headquarters. He has been in China. He has been in Russia. He was about to go to Scotland Yard and then COVID came. So working on that. But besides, on the new, new blood that is there, medium and lower, we have agreed with the management, but with the president to say, we need to get a group of people that will take them to this institution, spend some time there in those institutions, to be able to get increase in higher uh, learning requirement so that bring them back here and they, they are able to understand this policy at international level. That is being done, Honorable Member. Thank you, Honorable Minister. As we proceed to question number 65, which is asked by the Honorable Yako to the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services. The Honorable, the Minister. Yeah, thank you very much, um, Honorable uh, House Chairperson. My apology, I could not uh, come to the House because I am a bit uh, fluish. It is in the interest of the members that I respond from here. The, the Honorable members, as uh, members of the Executive, we meet with His Excellency, President Sarah Ramaphosa, on a regular basis to discuss various matters of our portfolios. The process began on the 16th of September 2021 when His Excellency President Sarah Ramaphosa called on South Africans to nominate suitable qualified candidates for this critical position of the head of the judiciary of South Africa, which was for the first of its kind in our country and in many jurisdictions in the world. This invitation was intended to promote transparency and enable public participation in the appointment of the Chief Justice. The submission process closed on the 1st of October 2021. In response to the call for the public participation, the public made 148 submissions, which consisted of 25 names. Some of these individuals featured in more than one submission. Of the 25 names, only eight nominations met the criteria as set out in the call by the president. The criteria referred to above stipulated the following, a nomination letter, including the contact details of the nominator. <coughs> the nominee's acceptance of the nomination and their contact details, 
letter of support for the nomination and contact details of persons or entities that support the nomination, including at least one letter of support from the professional body of legal practitioners, non-central organizations working in the field of human rights or other legal fields, and additional documentation that the person nominating the candidate for chief justice deems relevant. The nomination panel was chaired by Judge Navin Pillay. It assessed and scrutinized all submissions. With regards to suitability, President Ramaphosa has publicly explained that the, the Judicial Service Commission advises the President on the suitability of the candidates. This explanation is in line with Section 1743 of the Constitution, which reads, the President as the head of the National Executive, after consulting the Judicial Service Commission and the leaders of parties represented in the National Assembly, appoints the Chief Justice and Deputy Chief Justice, and after consulting the Judicial Service Commission, appoints the President and the Deputy President of the Supreme Court of Appeal. Thank you. Thank you. Just put your hot uh, water with lemon next to you. Uh, we have Mamiako to ask the supplementary question. Thank you so much, House Chair. Mr. Lamola, the concerns that many have about the attempt at judicial capture should concern you as a Minister of Justice. The rest of the population needs to have confidence that decisions relating to the administration of justice are beyond reproach. In light of the interviews for the Chief Justice and the recommendation made to the President by the JSC, has the President informed you of when is he going to make an appointment for the position of the Chief Justice and why he thinks that you, as the JSC, overstepped your mark in recommending Judge Mandi Samaya as the Chief Justice? As a minister responsible for justice, are you not concerned that we have not had a chief justice for over four months? Thank you, House Chair. Thank you. Before I allow the minister to respond, just as a reminder of our rules, Rule 137.2 states exactly that you cannot ask more than one question. So please, let's take care of that because when they respond, if they respond to one, they are correct. So let's please stick to our rules. The Honorable, the Minister. Yeah, thank you, um, House Chair. That uh, assertion of a judicial capture is unfounded. As I've said, for the first time in the history of our country, the president on his own discretion open up the process for, for the sake of transparency and for the sake of public participation, where he allowed South Africans from all walks of life to participate in the appointment of the Chief Justice. They, it, they cannot be more transparency than that. And the whole process is in the public eye. Political parties are participating, they are making their inputs, so that the assertion is not only far-fetched, it's uh, unscrupulous, it's unfounded. It has uh, all the hallmarks of a conspiracy. Because what the president has done, as I've said, is in line with Section 1743 of the Constitution. And this publicly explained view that the Judicial Services Commission advises the president on the suitability of the candidates 
is in line with one section 1743 of the constitution, which I again read for the benefit of the member. The president is the head of the national executive. After consulting the Judicial Service Commission and the leaders of the parties represented in the National Assembly, appoints the Chief Justice and the Deputy Chief Justice. And after consulting the Judicial Service Commission, appoints the President and the Deputy President of the Supreme Court of Appeal. So the President has opened up the process, has allowed the public to participate, including honorable members in this House, whom in their majority have made their views on the matter, They've made comments. And on behalf of the president, I want to thank all political parties who have submitted their views. And I think those views will enable the president to make a decision to appoint the chief justice. And as things stand, the current acting chief justice is holding the fort. The judiciary is functioning. There is no crisis. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chairperson. Thank you. The Honorable Tanji, it's an opportunity. Thank you, uh, House Chair. Uh, Minister, can you assist in speaking to the nation so that we avoid lousy conspiracies uh, and just outline in simple terms and very briefly uh, the process that gets followed in appointing a Chief Justice so that we, we don't get into uh, all of these conspiracies that are just being bended around? Thank you. I hope you'll be able to do that in two minutes as I remind him. The Honorable yeah, thank, Minister. Thank you very much, um, uh, Chairperson. Indeed, um, in the past, uh, um, there was the process to appoint the Chief Justice where the President nominated only one person when the um, outgoing Chief Justice was um, appointed and also when uh, the former Chief Justice Ngobom was appointed and also when the former Chief Justice uh, Pius Langer was appointed. Only one member from the judiciary was appointed. What the current president has done is unprecedented. It is the hallmark of transparency, which will be appreciated by all democratic loving South Africans because it gave a platform for the people of this country to have a say in terms of who must become a Chief Justice. And it also killed all kinds of conspiracies all kinds of um, matters that may want to assume or to cast a suspicion on the, on the person of the president who gave and shared, in fact, his constitutional power, as I've said, in terms of section 1743. He shared this power with them, with all South Africans. He shared this power with all members of this parliament by giving them a platform and an opportunity to make an input. Therefore, Whoever is going to be appointed at the end of this whole process by the president is an outcome of a process that all South Africans will have um, participated in. And um, I do believe that we will all welcome that process and that outcome because it will be a product of a democratic process by all South Africans. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Honorable Hon. Thank you, House Chair. Minister, it is of course so that the manner in which the JSC has dealt with the last two rounds of interviews has, has created the ground for all sorts of conspiracies. Would you agree as the representative of the executive on the JSC that the time has now arrived for the JSC to, to adopt a code of conduct for its members, which should include 
the rules of engagement with members amongst themselves and with candidates. The Honourable the Minister. Yeah, thank you, um, Honourable House Chair. Yes, um, I do agree that there could be a need to tweak some of the uh, codes of conduct. We already have a protocol that is there within the JSE. The constitution also stipulates the type of a fit and proper people that must be appointed. And, and then also the JSE uh, rules itself does stipulate, but there is nothing wrong for the JSE itself to engage on what it may believe may be necessary to tweak some of the codes of conduct to continue to protect the decorum, the standing, and the dignity of the process. Thank you. Thank you. Inkosi Kabekulu. Minister, given the imperative need for leadership and stability in uh, our judicial services, is <clears throat> It is crucial that uh, the appointment of Chief Justice be completed as expeditiously, expeditiously as possible. Having said that, judicial uh, independence is just as critical. My question is how will your department, which uh, controls the, the budget allocation of the, the office of the Chief Justice, ensure that uh, the allocation of budget is not uh, used as a command and control allocation, which uh, could uh, be seen uh, to interfere with the independence of the judiciary. Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, indeed, we continuously follow all the Treasury fiscal uh, policies to ensure that the, all the budget allocations to all departments under the Department of Justice are following through the, the prescripts of the National Treasury. And that includes the Office of the Chief Justice so that um, their allocation and the baseline is um, affected by the needs and also informed by the current fiscal environment. And there is a continuous engagement between the National Treasury and the Office of the Chief Justice represented by the accounting officer to ensure that the needs are catered for and um, where fiscal uh, uh, framework allows um, the increase, it does happen, as you will have heard from the Minister of Finance. But um, the current fiscal environment affects all the national departments, not only the judiciary. But the National Treasury continues to, to bend their hands backwards to help the, the needs of the, of the judiciary and um, also all the entities under the Department of Justice so that the wheels of justice can continue to turn. There will never be a space for any pulling of strings to, to unstrung or to obstruct the work of the judiciary because that will be unconstitutional. Our constitution is very clear and all the prescripts are to the effect that um, such a thing cannot be allowed to happen in our democratic um, uh, country. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. We now proceed to question number 20, asked by the Honorable Mudise to the Minister of Home Affairs. The Honorable, the Minister. Thank you, uh, House Chair. The plan for the acquisition of 10,000 young people uh, who are coming to 
it ties our record to be as follows. Firstly, we need to acquire them. And we are hoping that we acquire the 10,000 young people uh, this very month, wherein we place adverts in social media platforms, radio, notices at all tuition centers, labor centers, national youth development agency, platform, and print media. And we'll continue with the shortlisting where we'll do suitability checks like a credit rate, citizenship, criminal checks, etc., etc. Uh, the 10,000 young people will be appointed in all provinces. On the, uh, uh, the, the, the weight of the work uh, as determined by the number of records. These records which I mentioned, uh, which I said they start in 1895, they are in all the provinces of South Africa. So the young people won't be in one place, they will be in all the provinces. And lastly, an important chairperson. This is not an internship program. I had many people say the Department of Home Affairs to hire interns. No, these are unemployed people. Some of them have completed internship program, but we are giving them a contract. And, and Apart from digitizing, they are going to be given entrepreneurial skills, coding, robotics, digital transformation, financial management, basic project management, and uh, strategies to, of interview, how to write this, etc. Now, the second part of the question is how much will this project cost? When we did our B2 pressure, we put two scenarios. The first scenario is if the project takes 24 months in which case it will cost 2.2 billion. On the other hand, if it, costs, if it takes three, three, I mean, three, six months, not three, yes, that's three years, 86 months, it will then cost 3.2 billion. Thank you very much. Thank you. Memudise? Thank you, House Chair. Memudise will not be able to take the question. Lucas will be taking a follow-up on her behalf. Proceed. Thank, thank you, Chair. Honorable Minister, given the high unemployment rate and deepening inequality, how will the department ensure that young people, women, and people living with disability in rural areas and those without access of internet will be considered during this recruitment drive? Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. In the project plan, Honorable Member, we specifically said 60% of the people are going to will be even and will insist in the disabilities there. And secondly, as I've already said, we'll make sure that we, we meet our youth all over. That's why I said it will be in every province. There'll be walk-ins. Those who just walk in and say I'm here, there will be advertised tuition centers, labor centers, national youth development agencies, and we hope new members of parliament can also help but nobody will be left behind. Thank you. Thank you. Akbaralit van der Merve. Bye, Danki, voorzitter. Um, thank you very much, um, Honourable Minister. Um, Honourable Minister, we welcome, of course, the creation of these 10,000 jobs for our young people as it is desperately needed. But we've got some practical concerns. First and foremost, you spoke about citizenship, but can you ensure us that these positions will be 
preserved or that South Africans will be prioritized for these opportunities. And your department, Honorable Minister, already struggles with corruption within its ranks. Considering that these new employees will be handling sensitive data and information, what steps will be in place to ensure that this project doesn't lead to data breaches, loss of confidential information, or even corruption? Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Member, uh, there is a question which I'm going to answer. As a but maybe I can just do it now. Number one, this is money from the fiscals. This is going to be a public service. So citizenship is important. It has to be. And because of the nature of the work that's going to be done. So that's why I'm mentioning it as one of the things in the plan. And when we submitted to Treasury the President, we actually mentioned that on the issue of corruption. Honorable member, we are going to call a press conference to outline so that people understand step by step what will be done. And, and we believe from the plan, which we will actually uh, <coughs> display when present in that press conference, you will judge for yourself whether there will be any corruption or not. We are not starting this from the scratch. The Department of Higher Education, no. Basic education did hire 350,000 assistant educators. There were no complaints, there was no corruption because of the method they used. And we are going to use a similar method in this case. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Medjito, Kalebuka House Chair. Minister, in November 2016, the then Uma First Minister Malusi. Up. And the then statistician general Bali <clears throat> announced a collaboration for the for the digitization of the records at UMAFES. This is exactly the same project that the president has announced in his SONA address. Why did the digitization project between the UMAFES and the statistician South Africa not yield any results? And what could be different this time? Thank you. Thank you. The honorable minister. Uh, Digitization by uh, State South Africa is ongoing. Honorable uh, it has been ongoing, but the problem is this. The records we are talking about are 300 million in the stretch of 1895. Now, using an ordinary budget, which is what we need to give to State South Africa, they were only able to digitize 5 million per annum. If you calculate, it will take us six years. Inside this war, because six years will be for the present 300 records. But the records in this year, these are records of birth, death, marriage, ID, passport, stretching back in 1895, and every year they So we realized that that project won't finish the job. We want a specific project which is specifically funded, and we got this opportunity. Thank you very much. Thank you. The Honorable Thrain. Uh, thank you, Honorable House Chair. Uh, Minister, the Department of Home Affairs has become characterized by long queues, uh, many hours that one has to spend queuing or waiting for services inside 
uh, buildings. Some at times also the unfriendly and unhelpful staff manning some of the offices. Now, Minister, will the recruitment of these 10,000 young people for the digitization of paper records help to improve these challenges that many South Africans face, uh, as well as improve the image of the department? If yes, how? If not, why not? Thank you. Thank you. The Honourable the Minister. Remember, the Department of Home Affairs came to the Portfolio Committee to outline a plan about the problem I mentioned, this issue of long queues and order. We outlined the reasons and the plan. But this digitization, this is how it's going to contribute. Part of the long queues are caused by people who come to Home Affairs many times because there's no way of sending them once. And let me give an example. Let's say you are looking for an unabridged birthday kid, or you are looking for a marriage of some parents or grandparents who got married 80 years ago, and we have got to go and check from the records. Now you have over 300 million records, which are paper, basic, paper, it's manual. You have got to go through them to check that. It takes days, but after digitization, anybody who enters home affairs and say, I'm looking for this record, will be there on the fingerprint and they won't have to come back to home affairs again. And so they won't contribute to the long queue. So this is how this project is going to contribute. You might have had people who are angry and saying I've applied for this and that three years, three months ago, or six months ago, even a year, and I'm not getting the answer. It's because our people are searching through documents which stand, I mean, which stretches from the linear and they are searching for them manually. So we are very excited that this program will bring all the information you want on your fingertips. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. As we proceed to question number 11. Question number 11 has been asked by the Honorable Shengwa to the Minister of International Relations and Cooperation. The Honorable, the Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Our response is as follows. <clears throat> South Africa is continuing to encourage all parties through quiet diplomacy within all relevant international mechanisms, such as the United Nations, including BRICS, to strengthen all diplomatic efforts to avoid an escalation of tension and work towards an inclusive sustainable and peaceful solution based on cooperation and dialogue. In this regard, South Africa encourages all parties to approach dialogue with a spirit of compromise in order to move the process forward without accusing any party, something that will not be helpful in the efforts of resolving the conflict. South Africa stands by its principled position of peaceful resolution of conflict. South Africa reiterates the obligation of all the parties to fully implement all their respective commitment under the mixed agreement, which provides the most promising roadmap for the peaceful settlement of current hostilities, including in eastern Ukraine and to advance the cause of peace and stability in the broader region. South Africa cannot be said to be taking side on the conflict as this goes against 
its principles. In addition, South Africa has a good bilateral relations with both countries. It will therefore be unwise to take a different position that could compromise this bilateral relations. Regarding South Africa's position in BRICS, it has been and is continuing to encourage all the parties to strengthen all diplomatic efforts to avoid an escalation of tensions and work towards an inclusive, sustainable and peaceful solution based on cooperation and dialogue. In this regard, South Africa encourages all parties to approach dialogue with a spirit of compromise, as I have indicated. And South Africa stands by its principal position of peaceful resolution of conflict. Similarly, in paragraph 22 of BRICS New Daily Declaration issued on the 9th of September 2021, the BRICS leaders expressed concern at the continuing conflict and violence in different parts of the world. The BRICS leaders reaffirm their commitment to the principle of non-interference in the internal affairs of states and reiterated that all conflict must be resolved by peace, by peaceful means and through political and diplomatic efforts in line with international law, in particular the UN Charter. The BRICS leaders also underscored the inadmissibility of the threats or use of force against the territorial integrity or political independence of any state or in any other manner inconsistent with the purpose and principle of the United Nations. I thank you, Chair. Thank you. Before I proceed, let me remind all our members on the virtual platform. The respect you can give to this hybrid sitting is by ensuring that you look at your gadget and mute immediately. Please, we request you to do that because anything you say or do is reflecting on the screens here and it's disturbing. All members on virtual, please check your gadgets and mute yourselves. Thank you. The Honorable Sengwa. Thank you very much, Honorable House Chairperson. Well, I think the horses have already bolted on a lot of the things that the Deputy Minister has indicated. And tensions have gone beyond escalation because Ukraine has been invaded by Russia as we speak right now. And the country is at war. Therefore, the question then becomes, um, House Chairperson, does DECO still stand by the statement that it issued last week? Because judging by the response now, there is an element of backtracking, particularly in a very direct call to Russia to desist from the um, aggression and the invasion and to pull out its troops and military out of Ukraine in order to create a conducive and enabling environment um, for the discussions that the Deputy Minister speaks about. And of course, then secondly, um, the, the impact of the sanctions on Russia 
are most likely now to have a direct impact on South Africa through the BRICS partnership. And therefore, we want to know what contingency plans are in place to insulate the South African economy, but also to be proactive in dealing with these sanctions. And will South Africa join the international community in meeting out sanctions against Russia? Thank you. Thank you. The, the immediately, you say, secondly, and, and know that you are against Rule 1372. You understand what I'm saying. Proceed, Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chairperson. Uh, I have indicated uh, what, what, what will be our position as, as South Africa. Well, it only depends on the interpretation of the member, and there's nothing that uh, you can call it we've, we've, we've now changed the position. There's no change of any position here, uh, 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 Chair, because we are continuing as a country, also uh, calling for a peaceful uh, resolution on conflict, and that's our position, and and. To do that, we also really request all the parties to go on dialogue. So that, that's that's our position, Chair. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the Honourable Nkosi. Thank you. Uh, Honourable Deputy Ministers, given that the situation has escalated, and in line with our policy of peaceful engagement for the resolution of conflicts, what are the specific engagements between South Africa the Ukraine and Russia to resolve this uh, conflict peacefully. Thank you. The Honorable, the Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, I just want to remind the Honorable Member that uh, there was an, a, a special session on Ukraine in the UN General Assembly, and South Africa has presented um, a, a paper in that and a position of South Africa. And we still stand by what we said in the, in the special session. And we, we hope that the two parties will really be in line with the, the UN uh, uh, Charter and also be in line with the resolution of the special session on Ukraine. Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable Heron. Thank you, um, House Chair. Um, we obviously welcome the, um, the Deputy Minister's um, call for de-escalation and peace, but the, um, our, our membership of BRICS places us in a special position or relationship with Russia and with the commitments of BRICS, which are articulated as being a respect for sovereignty, unity, independence, and territorial integrity, non-aggression, and equality. We also know that our membership of BRICS is intended to place our economy in a place where we participate in global economic cooperation and to uh, benefit from trade and investment. So how can the, can the minister, or can the minister um, advise us how she proposes or how our government proposes to use our membership of BRICS um, and its commitment to these universal principles to ensure that our much needed economic growth and job creation project is not undermined. Thank you. Thank you. The Honorable De Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Chair. Uh, I just want to remind the member that uh, as members of BRICS, we are also um, uh, affiliates in the, in the United Nations. So 
in terms of this particular situation as it stands now, it needed to be resolved within the United Nations. And we have called upon for the Security Council to use all means that they have in their disposal to make sure that they quell the situation between Russia and, and Ukraine. So the, the, there's no plan for the separate BRICS because we are all members of the United Nations in this particular matter as it stands. Thank you. Uh, Honorable, I'm being abused here, Chair. Can you protect me? Because you know, Honorable, Honorable Kwankwa, you have one minute. No, but uh, you, you must protect me, Chair. Chair, the issue here is that, Minister, can you please stop sitting on the fence? The issue here is clear. For, from where we are sitting, there are global calls for uh, President Vladimir Putin and members of his cabinet to be charged with war crimes. What is the position of South Africa with respect to that one? China, as a BRICS member, for example, have expanded trade uh, with, uh, with Russia, right? They've listed restrictions on wheat. Are we going to do the same thing since we're BRICS members? What are we going to do as a country? We need a firm and a clear position on this matter so that we know exactly where South Africa stands on this issue. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, the Honorable the Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Chair. And I just want to, to indicate that as South Africa, we stress that peace is built, is best built through diplomatic or diplomacy and, and dialogue within the framework of the institutions of global dialogue, especially the United Nations. It is important for all nations to respect and uphold the principle of international law including international humanitarian law and the provision of the UN Charter. That's, that, that's how I stand. So there's nothing that you can call we are standing on the fence here. We are members of the United Nations. We have presented our position there and we have been supported by many countries in that. So whoever is called for whatever, we're not going by, by, by what, what other countries are saying but we are going by what South Africa feels will be the better solution in this particular conflict. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. Uh, Honorable Kwankwa, is your mic not working there? Okay, they will, they will check it. Okay, thank you. Oh, uh. I'm trying to assist them. <laughs> okay, we proceed to question number seven, asked by the Honorable Dr. Grunewald to the Minister of Police. Come. Thank you very much, Honorable Chairperson. The answer is, in terms of Section 139 of the Firearms Control Act 2000, Act, 6, Act, Act number 60 of 2000, 
an amnesty may be declared by the Minister of Police if the amnesty may result in the reduction of the number of illegal possessed firearms and it is in the public interest to do so. The firearm amnesty is therefore the prerogative of the Minister when it's necessary. Two, Section 24, read with Section 28 of the Firearm Control Act, does not provide for an expired license to be renewed. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you. Uh, Honorable Valdor, is it you, Honorable Vessels? Because I can see your mic is still on and we can see you. Honorable Grunewald, please. It's your opportunity. Yes, it's your opportunity. Your Thank member, you. Mr. Vessels, was disturbing us. He must All switch right. off his, he must mute his uh, gadget. Proceed, Dr. Grunewald. Thank you, Chair. Honorable Chair, uh, to the Honorable Minister, with great respect, Minister, uh, you only read from uh, the piece of legislation. I know that, but the question was, whether you will consider come to Parliament and request for a further amnesty. Uh, last year you gave an undertaking to say yes, you will do so, admitting that the COVID situation uh, hampered quite a lot of people to apply for amnesty. My follow-up is the following. Uh, will you, in considering such an amnesty, allow again that people who must renew their firearm licenses have an opportunity to do so and in the light of all the theft of firearms at police stations to allow them to keep their firearms with them in a safe place. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Grunewald. The Honorable the Minister. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Jefferson, there must be reasons of uh, declaring the amnesty. As the member says, it could have been folly of me to say there will never be amnesty again. Indeed, uh, there are a few things to be considered. Uh, does it come with, uh, does it yield with the wanted results of the results that they say they have? Uh, I'm sorry, Honorable Minister. Can you just hold it? I'm going to give you, you only spoke 30 seconds. I'll, I'll give you your minutes. Honorable Mbata, uh, please, this is the second time and you are not even listening to us. You are busy with your own radio or your own TV. That's what we hear. You proceed, we remove you from the platform. The Honorable Minister, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Excuse me, House Chair. We are getting reports from our members on the virtual platform that they're battling to hear the ministers when they use the roving mic. So can IT look into it and then perhaps for now, can they speak into this mic? They can't hear with a loud mic like that. They're battling to hear on the virtual platform. Oh, it makes a lot of noise. Oh. Uh, can I allow the ministers to sit down because the problem is the, the, this thing is shorter. Honorable minister, I give you permission to answer sitting. 
Thank you. <laughs> Kalapanti Minister, uh, can you please reset because we have disturbed him already? Well, thank you very much, Chair. I hope I'm well audible now. The issue raised by Honorable Dr. Hronewald of the amnesty is an issue, as we have said, legislated. And as he correctly say that, I did speak with him, and indeed I said uh, there will be time where there will be amnesty again. But we need to weigh those things. One thing that we need to weigh uh, is, is the amnesty going to yield, uh, going to yield the desired results. That is a reduction of, of, of firearms. That's the first one. Uh, the, sec the, the, the second one are the logistics of getting these firearms. Uh, the, 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 the firearm register will have to work on them. Uh, the ballistic will have to work on them because as these firearms are brought back, we need to take them through uh, the ballistics to check if they were not using the co uh, committing crime. They have not killed anybody, not just take them and put them uh, in uh, SP-13 or in any form of storage. Uh, third, he's asking if uh, there can be a renewal of expired uh, license. The law does not allow that. The law says you'll have to, you'll have to uh, reapply, apply for the firearm rather than renewal uh, of it. Uh, these amnesties, unfortunately, we have put quite several of these amnesties. <clears throat> People don't come forward to those that have expired firearms. So we will urge those that represented the people that have firearms, including uh, those firearms associations and organizations themselves, to encourage their members, if and when the amnesty comes, to use that space to reapply for the issuing of licenses, not renewal. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Minister. Uh, May Jumat Peterson. Thank you very much, House Chair, Honorable House Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Honorable Minister, the licensing process and the amnesty process in, exists in order to achieve lawful possession, as you have said. Uh, what would the plan be of the Minister and SAPS in dealing with the unlicensed firearms in this interim period while we are waiting for what happens, uh, your decision, if there's a possible new amnesty? so that illegal firearms in the country is kept under control. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Thank you. Proceed, Honorable Minister. Well, Chairperson, unfortunately, police are not lawmakers, are law enforcers. Uh, that's the difference. There is a law. And even those that have their own firearms, they know the law. That once it expires, your license is illegal. And then if you have illegal firearm, you know what will happen to you, so we'll arrest you. So what, what, what we are urging, what we are urging the firearms owners in the Republic of South Africa is to take the process and follow the process to say, you go and renew your, 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 your license while there was still time there. 
of which we believe if you do, even if your license delays, but if you have the receipt in your hand, that will be regarded as the legal firearm until you get your license. But if you stay home and you said you, you, you did have a license, but when it expires, there is no license. Uh, so we'll have to, the question, what do we do? We have to confiscate those guns, but not only confiscate, we don't only confiscate the gun when you have an illegal, we confiscate the gun and, and take you to, to give you the free accommodation somewhere. So it, it's, it's important that the members and South Africans, they follow the law. Thank you very much. <laughs> Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable Whitfield. Thank you very much, Chair. It is um, it is emerged as a fact that the subsequent or consecutive amnesties have exposed the Central Firearms Registry as chaotic, unreliable, and in fact dysfunctional. The processing of firearm license applications, competency applications, and amnesty applications is simply taking far too long to provide the administrative justice that firearm owners deserve. In terms of the age analysis of firearm-related applications, more than 130,000 applications are outstanding for more than 120 days, and 76,800 of these are amnesty applications. Considering the fact that firearm owners are being prejudiced by the flaws in the Act and the failure to adhere to the very basic elements of administrative justice, further acknowledging that SAPS's core function is policing and not paperwork, will the Minister consider relieving the SAPS of the function of administering firearm licenses by outsourcing this function to an independent entity supervised by the Secretary of Police. I thank you. Thank you. The Honorable the Minister. No, not yet Uhuru on this thing of uh, outsourcing. Uh, Chairperson, I fully agree with the delays of more than 92 to 200 days. But as one has said, if you have if you have a receipt that is regarded as your firearm is legal, the problem is when the owners of firearms just don't go, they just don't follow the law. They stay home and not, don't become the part of the law-abiding citizens in the Republic of South Africa. Fully agreed that the firearms register could do better. Uh, the there are problems there, of which we are working on them uh, to fix them, uh, including looking in different ways. Even what the what the the honourable member says cannot be ruled out, but we have not reached that level. We are at the level where things are being corrected. But we are also calling on the members to call on South Africans. To, to respect the law, to say the law is not completely uh, prejudicing them in terms of not taking on board the legality of firearms. You go there, you get, go there in time, you get the receipt, and then you are able to respond in time. So that's what we request. So call both on the government to, to do better, the, but call on the South Africans also to keep the law. Thank you. Mema Josie is cutting a sarcoma. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. Honorable Minister, illegally obtained weapons are often used in criminal activities. And I sketch upon all upon law-abiding citizens of South Africa. What mechanism are in place to ensure that all firearms handed in to the South 
African Police Service Firearm Registry are disposed of in a safe and legal manner and cannot be illegally funneled to crime syndicates. Please provide clear details of the process as well as the evidence that all these weapons are destroyed. Thank you, House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The Honorable Member wants detailed evidence. Chairperson, besides the, the amnesty, we have operations. Uh, if, if, if you have seen a few weeks ago, this unit that has done the job at Rosenville, not only at Rosenville, but they also did it at Don Park, not only Don Park, they did it in Midland, where they've collected, in, in almost a month, they collected more than 210 illegal firearms. So we do have these operations. And these, these firearms are taken, uh, most of them, to the SP-13. Indeed, there are weaknesses in the systems of keeping these firearms, starting in this province, uh, where a certain Kenneth uh, messed up selling 200,000, 200, 200, 200, 200, 200, 2,000 firearms illegal out there. Uh, including what has happened in Node as we speak now, where about 178 uh, firearms have been sold by our, our own. So we're working on that with the administration and the management to tie that thing up, but also to, to take those people that are breaking the law and take them out of the system and put them where it belongs. And then periodically, we are destroying these firearms. Unfortunately, there are not too many places where we are using to, to, to destroy these, these firearms. There will be one in Ferenheim. I think in KZN at, uh, at Spingo, there is a place. But we try not to keep them for a very long time to tempt the criminals even among ourselves so that they are destroyed and you are able to remove these illegal firearms out of the circulation in the community. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. We proceed now to question number 24, asked by Mayor Ramulubeng to the Minister of Justice and Correctional Service. The Honourable, the Minister. Uh, thank you very much. It is worth noting that much success has been derived from the existing Special Commercial Crimes Courts, known as the SCCC model, which allows for a close integration of the work between prosecutors and investigators and dedicated courts which can, once matters are enrolled, process matters speedily, and effectively instead of matters having to wait space on the open court roll. I have approved a special commercial crimes court project plan 2020, and the plan provided for two-phased approach in establishing and enhancing existing specialized commercial crimes courts. The first phase, which entailed the establishment of new specialized commercial crimes courts in the provinces where, where there were none, was scheduled for implementation during the 2020-2021 financial year. The second phase, which entailed the enhancement of the existing special commercial crimes calls in all other provinces, was scheduled to commence in the, April 2021 to coincide with the beginning of the 2020-2021-2022 financial year. 
Both the establishment and the enhancement of the special commercial crime spots are guided by the evaluations of existing and envisaged caseloads as determined by the National Prosecuting Authorities Specialized Commercial Crimes Unit and the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development available resources. Phase one was successfully implemented with the establishment of new special commercial crimes court in Limpombo, in Pumalanga, the Northern Cape, and the Northwest during the 2020-21 financial year. As we speak, uh, honorable members, these courts are in operation. Currently, all provinces in the country have dedicated special commercial crimes courts, and phase two was ready to be implemented in the 2021-2022 financial year. The Special Commercial Crimes Court Enhancement Phase saw additional Special Commercial Crimes Court being established in Mtata, in East London, and in Peter Marisbeck, as well as the enhancement of the existing Special Commercial Crimes Court in Palm Ridge, Pretoria North, and Deben. The project plans were requested from the relevant regional Special Commercial Crimes Court Steering Committees for consideration by the National Steering Committee. The new Special Commercial Crimes Court in East London and Mtata were established and commenced operations on the 6th of April, 2021. They are in operations, uh, honorable members. We are not still speaking about plans, but they are in existence. The new Special Commercial Crimes Court in Peter Marisbeck commenced operations on the 3rd of January, 2022. And the enhancement and resourcing of the Palm Ridge and the Pretoria North Special Commercial Crimes Courts is being implemented as we speak. For the coming financial year, the National Special Commercial Crimes Court Steering Committee will again request the regional steering committees to consider the need for new special commercial crimes court in their region. These steering committees are composed of representatives of the National Prosecuting Authority, Legal Aid South Africa, members of the judiciary, and officials of the Department of Justice and Constitutional Development. They are tasked with determining the need for additional special commercial crimes court by considering the current and the projected case loads, and to determine the resources both in terms of tools of trades and human resource needed to fully capacitate the additional special commercial crimes courts. Funds for the establishment and enhancement of the special commercial crimes courts were allocated by the National Treasury for three years at 40 million rands per year, with a slight escalation per year with the last three years being 2022-2023 financial year. The recruitment of judicial officers, court officials, and legal aid South Africa practitioners are calls that are carried from year to year and added with every new special commercial crimes court established. The establishing of the new special commercial crimes courts or enhancement of SCCs is thus dependent on the need and availability of funds. The department envisaged they would bring sufficient funds for three to four new special commercial crimes court in the year 2022 and 2023 financial year. The department will continue to put these funds to their full use by enhancing the capacity of the special commercial crimes court as government steps up its efforts to eradicate corruption both in the public and the private sectors. Thank you. Thank you. May I remind that you have four minutes. I gave some extra. Not again. Uh, Thanks, House Chair. Um, thank you, Minister, for the response. 
especially in giving us a brief about the Specialized Commercial Crimes Court. Minister, has or is an impact assessment being conducted on the implementation of and operation of the Specialized Commercial Crimes Court? To put it differently, are these courts yielding their intended purpose and making a material difference? Thanks. House Thank Chair. you. The Honorable the Minister. Uh, thank you. Indeed, um, there has been an, an impact assessment, and it has proven that um, all cases that go through these courts have yielded high conviction rates because of the collaboration of the law enforcement agencies that takes matters through these courts. And also because these courts are an outcome of collaboration and engagements by all stakeholders in terms of the needs and where they must be located and what cases must be prioritized and how they must be handled. And as a result, it has fast-tracked or expedited some of the long-standing cases that um, are, are, are able to be handled and expedited, except the ones that obviously will be beyond the hands of the courts, which um, obviously there will be postponements related to issues of um, accused being sick, um, legal representatives, or sometimes judicial officers and so forth. But the courts are having a huge impact and I do believe send a very strong message to community and society that the era of impunity is over through the conviction of those that are fighting to be corrupt and also for organized crime and criminal syndicates. Thank you. Thank you. Mr. Hon? Thank you, House Chair. Minister, congestion or backlogs in respect of specialized commercial crime prosecutions are, of course, not solely caused by the number of courts available. Other factors such as the dedicated availability of presiding officers, the dedicated availability of prosecutors with the necessary experience and expertise, as well as the requirement that operational issues do not negatively impact, like court recording systems that needs to be in place and operational, are all issues the department and the NPA under your leadership has failed to ensure over the last few years are stark realities. This has resulted, Minister, in a situation where the average number of hours during which our courts are sitting have been dwindling from one year to the next. What measures will be put in place to ensure the full functionality of not only these new courts that is being rolled out, but also those that have been part of the establishment up to now? Thank you. Thank you. The Honourable the Minister. Yeah, thank you. Uh, indeed, um, as you will realise that um, it is not only the establishment of the courts that uh, the resources have been put forward for. It is also the enhancement of those courts. Like the Palm Ridge one, it's an enhancement. And also the Pretoria North one was an enhancement. And also the Devon one. So this is an acknowledgement of the challenges that these courts had faced. And this enhancement has helped those courts and is helping these courts to be able to handle the matters that are coming before them. The issue of the court recording uh, machine, as Honorable On is a member of the committee, is aware that it has been an issue that has been um, seized by the committee for almost the whole of last year, including the department itself. And as we speak now, the matter has been resolved um, uh, to, to enable the court recording machines across the country 
to do their job, except um, not only in the specialized commercial crimes court, but in all the courts which had the challenges of the court recording machine. And we are hopeful that um, we will be able to find a long-lasting sustainable solution so that the work of the courts is not being disrupted, but the courts are able to function optimally, including on the specialized commercial crimes court, where we expect that matters that will come also through those courts from the Zondo Commission and other corruption-related matters will be able to receive priority as per the uh, announcement of the president during the State of the Nation address, we continue to monitor the challenge of this court recording machine and attend to, to it everywhere it arises. But now that um, a contract is in place that will enable them to be resolved, to be, to be maintained and um, to be kept in working condition, we believe that um, the problem will be resolved and a long lasting solution will be found. Thank you. Thank you. Mayako? Thank you very much, House Chair. Minister, it does not matter how many courts the country may have, but if we still have poor investigative and prosecutorial capacity, people will still get away with murder. Today, despite the almost global condemnation of the corruption of Stanov, the NPA still has no plans of charging Marcus Yours and other corrupt white people. The NPA is seemingly very lenient to crime committed by rich people such as yours. What plans have you put in place to build their capacity to prosecute these sort of crimes? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you very much, um, Honorable House um, Chairperson. Again, um, the assertion is unfounded um, that the, the NPA is looking at color to prosecute crimes. The NPA is guided by the Constitution and the NPA Act that they must prosecute without any fear, favor, or prejudice to anyone. Hence, you will have seen in the previous week or two where they have prosecuted the executives of Dongati in the, in the, in the, in the fraud case uh, that related to, 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 the, to the financial statements and uh, of, of Tongati, which is um, it's also a crime that um, those executives in their majority are white. But uh, the NPA did not look at their color. They look at the crime that has been committed and prosecuted. And um, they, they have updated the nation with regard to Stenhoff that there is still ongoing investigation, which is a um, prosecutorial-led uh, investigation that is handled by the Hawks. And um, we are hopeful that soon they will be able to update the country as to how far they are and what is happening. But we need to remind uh, members here that um, even in the German jurisdictions, they did not just wake up and, um, and arrest them, the, the people involved in the stand of matter. It took them about five years to finalize that complex, sophisticated investigation. And you will have also seen from the national budget, from national treasury, that um, we have a, the national treasury has given an additional budget of about a billion rand to help the NPA in terms of its human resource. And also ourselves are looking to help them with the various um, resources that they need to capacitate them to do their job. And from time to time, we allow the NPA to use Section 38 of the National Prosecuting Act to be able to source the skills that they need to prosecute these crimes um, of corruption, of white-collar crime, 
that might be sophisticated where they need additional skills and resources. And um, from their perspective and uh, from our perspective, it does not matter who committed the crime, whether it's black, colored, Indian, white, they must do their job in accordance with what the NPA Act says and what the Constitution says, prosecute without fear, favor, or prejudice. And the president has also said there is nothing that stops the law enforcement agencies to do their job in line with the current reports that they've emerged from the Zondo Commission of Inquiry. Thank you. Thank you. Menier F.J. Mulder. Thank you, Honorable House Chair. Um, I hear what the Minister said, but my question would be to the Honorable Minister, if the Minister could explain to the House, um, considering all the extra measures that he mentioned to the House now about extra budget and extra capacity that's been created by, by the Department, um, what difference would it make seeing that the Department has not up till now succeeded in, 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 in conducting a proper court system and an investigating system. We all know that the special investigating unit is already incapacitated and underfunded as it is because of the fact that departments do not pay their bills. So my question to the Honorable Minister is, if you should explain to the House, how would it be different this time around? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Uh, thank you very much. Um, the difference is that um, there is now experience in terms of the capacitation, for example, of the investigative directorate. There is also a migration of a data center from the Zondo Commission, which will enable and help all law enforcement agencies with the information that they need, and also the capacitation in terms of forensic skills, digital skills, and um, accounting forensic skills that they are needed to deal with this um, forensic game, uh, kind of crimes that are complex and sometimes uh, cross-border and goes to multi-jurisdictions. So this is the, is the, is the kind of um, assistance and help that uh, we continue to provide to them to enable them to get this um, kind of human resource and also financial resources, as I've said, from the National Treasury. And we do believe that um, with the appointment of skilled personnel that um, has been done within in the, in the IT and also that the head of the IT will be appointed soon. And um, also all the heads of other provinces which are not encumbered by court for the National Prosecuting Authority will be appointed soon. This will help to have much needed guidance and leadership in most of these uh, prosecutorial um, matters that need decisions and that also need guidance to some of the juniors that are coming within the NPA. And also the continuation of the aspirant the prosecutor program, which enables the NPA to grow their own timber from within. It also enables them to bring fresh blood and the fresh minds, but also to, to, to reposition the National Prosecuting Authority again in the life of legal practitioners in the country as an employer of choice, as a pride of the nation, as anyone who wants to serve the rule of law, to stand there and be a prosecutor of the public. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. As we proceed to question number 49, 
asked by the Honorable Chechi to the Minister of International Relations and Cooperation. I will, as the Deputy Minister respond, I will ask uh, House Chairperson Dombela to come in. The Honorable, the Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, uh, House Chair. Our response to the question of the Honorable Member Chetty is that we we have given a loan to the Republic of Cuba uh, in 2018, which is 63 million rand, with an interest accrued of 1.366 million rand, and that loan has been fully paid. The second loan was granted last year, 2021, which is 84.6 million rand, with an interest accrued of 1.7 million rand. And the first installment of 9.9 million rand was paid in December, 2021. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. Honorable M. Chetty, the first supplementary question. Deputy Minister, clearly you are standing in for Minister Pando today because she has been reprimanded for a comment regarding Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Deputy Minister, further to these funds, your department, in its infinite wisdom, saw it fit to donate an additional 50 million rand to Cuba for food security, as per Deputy Minister Botes. Was this donation in lieu of the fact that we still owe Cuba for the redundant, useless vaccines we purchased? Are you aware that the hunger rate in Cuba has stabilized at 2.5 percent since 2002, while South Africa is sitting at 12.9 percent. This is a total misallocation and misdirection of funding. Deputy Minister, this is the African Renaissance Fund and not the African National Congress cookie jar. In view of this, are you willing to redirect this 50 million rand funding to assist with food security here at home, as charity does begin at home? If not, why not? Thank you. Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, House Chair. Well, the, the Honorable Member has asked about the loans that you have granted, granted the Republic of Cuba. He never asked us about any donations. That's a new question, according to me. He has got a full right to, to write questions about how much donation we have given to Cuba, uh, to the Republic of Cuba. So as it stands, the speaker about a 50 million, which was announced today in Cuba, which I'm sitting here in South Africa. I never had that announcement, but I will follow it up. Because uh, as we work uh, as, as, as the ministry, we have got our responsibilities differently. So, so now I will, I will check what is it that the, the, the Honorable Member uh, or the Honorable Deputy Minister has announced. Up to so far, I wasn't even aware that there's that announcement because that is not part of my responsibility for that country. 
Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. Thank you, very, thank you very much, Honorable Deputy Minister. The second supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Swartz. Thank you, House Chair. Honorable Deputy Minister, the practice and culture of states providing support to other states, including financial assistance in the form of loans to other countries, other an, another country or countries is normal practice in diplomacy. Can the Deputy Minister share with the House the kinds of support that our country received and continue to receive from other countries, including from Cuba? Thank you, House Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member, Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, House Chair. The Honorable Member is correct that it is a normal practice that to give loans because these are loans that are paid back. But definitely there's a lot that we are benefiting from Cuba since 1996. I think the Honorable Members are aware that we have received 96 Cuban doctors that were sent to us in, in, in line with our South African-Cuba relation, which serves as an exemplary model for South-South cooperation with a numerous government and government agreement governing the cooperation in the areas of training, health, services, human settlement, technical exchange, science and technology, public works, technical assistance, cooperation on water resource management and water supply, and on professional services in the field of basic education. I want to remind members that recently in April 2020, there was a, a, a brigade, a medical brigade that was sent to South Africa for 12 months, 217 brigade and medical practitioner to come and help us on the issues of COVID response. And those are doctors that have got expertise from Cuba. So there's a lot that we are receiving from Cuba. We also have got 19 Cuban curriculum specialists deployed here in South Africa in the department, in the, in the, in the department of basic education. They are throughout the country, Kauteng, Free State, and Eastern Cape. And they are helping our teachers and our students on issues of mathematics and science and technology. We also have got an agreement and we have received 25 Cuban engineers who are helping us on water and sanitation in South Africa and are throughout the province. I think, honorable members, all of them, they are aware that because of the contribution of the Cuban doctors and Cuban technical people that came to South Africa, we are able to render services that uh, the honorable member say is saying the 50 million who is going to disadvantage the, the service uh, delivery in, in South Africa. But we're getting a lot from, from Cuba, in particular, in terms of our uh, cooperation with them. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. The third supplementary question, Honorable T. Pimsane. Thank you very much, Chair. I'll take the question, is Mkalipi. Uh, Deputy okay. Minister, taking into account the history the country has with Cuba and the great sacrifices Cuba has made for our freedom, and what forms of tangible support have you made available to Cuba over the years? Why have you not used whatever diplomatic ways you have to persuade the U.S. to lift the evil economic embargo it placed on Cuba because of ideological reasons? Thank you, Chair. 
Thank you, Honourable Member, Honourable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, uh, Chairperson. Well, uh, as I have indicated that um, there's a lot that we are interacting with with Cuba, and there's lots of help, and even even pre-democracy, Cuba has been on our side. But the issue between Cuba and, and America, these are issues of, of, of two countries, but the, 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 the discussions amongst them is the discussion that belongs to them. But our support to Cuba really is not that you want to be an enemy of America, but we're supporting Cuba because of the relation that we have, which is called such, such, such uh, relations that we have with Cuba. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The last supplementary question, the Honorable M.G.E. Hendricks. Thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair. Uh, Honorable Chair, after all that Cuba has done uh, for South Africa, uh, uh, I would like to know if the Minister will support that the loan uh, be written off so that it, it shows our genuine appreciation uh, for what Cuba did uh, that led to our liberation. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Honorable Hendricks. Honorable Deputy Minister. Thank you very much, Honorable Chair. Well, well, loans are governed by uh, our financial uh, legislation, uh, Honorable Member. So if it is loan, then it, that's the agreement that we have with Cuba. And they have exercised a good commitment on the previous loan that we have given them. So we hope that they've got capacity to pay back the loan. They never ask uh, for, for, for anything than, than the loan. So if ever there's any gesture that you can do to Cuba, I think the country will decide on whatever gesture that you can give to Cuba. Of course, they've helped us. Thank you very much, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Deputy Minister. Uh, question number three has been asked by the Honorable Swartz to the Minister of Justice and Correctional Services. The Honorable Minister. Uh, th 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 thank you very much, House um, uh, Chairperson. Firstly, is to correct what I said earlier on, and to state that um, the head of the of the ID has uh, now been appointed by His Excellency the the President, so the capacity will be enhanced. Enhancing the capacity and skills of the NPA to effectively prosecute corruption is a national priority. The nature and extent of alleged corruption described in the Zondo report highlights the need for bold and innovative approaches to enhancing the capacity and skills of the criminal justice entities, including the NPA. These are complex crimes that require sophisticated response. In this regard, the NPA was allocated an additional budget of 1.1 billion over the 2022 MTF period as follows 2022-2023, million and seven, 2023-2024, million, 2024-2025, million pounds. 68% of the allocation will be used to enhance the anti-corruption capacity of the NPE through additional staffing in the following units. 
the NPS 700 um, aspirant prosecutors, the AFU 17 senior state advocates, OWP 12 protectors, the ID uh, independent investigative directorate, 91 investigators and prosecutors. Despite this additional funding support, the fiscals will never have enough funds to meet the, the demand on the prosecutors in light of the findings of the Zondo Commission. The NPA has identified the need for an additional 1.2 billion rands in the 2023 MTF period. The NPA is engaging National Treasury to explore options on how to appropriately utilize private donor funding and in-kind support without undermining its independence. The NPA will ensure accurate and transparent donation reporting and will establish a donor funding oversight committee as further governance structure. The National Treasury and the DG of Justice are working closely with the NPA to establish the site oversight committee. All cash donations will be managed through the RDP funds through the national treasury processes. The RDP fund can be used to support any request from the broader criminal justice system. In addition to more skills and capacity, we will be providing the required tools of trade needed to deliver on their important mandate, critical uh, to the success of the strategy to address corruption in, in the appointment of suitable senior counsel to support the prosecution in high-level <coughs> complex matters. There has also been a steep increase in the need for expanded witness protection due to the threatening or sometimes killing of whistleblowers. And also, the president has also appointed um, Advocate Ern Somaru as a director of public prosecutions in the Free State, Lumfontein, Advocate M.R. Mukari Sekalala as a director of prosecutions in Northwest, Advocate N.A. Bell as a Director of Public Prosecution, Western Cape Division. This is a clear commitment and demonstration of this government capacitating the National Prosecuting Authority and giving it the relevant support and skill to do its job without any fear, favor, or prejudice. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. The first supplementary question, the Honorable Swart. Thank you, House Chair. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Honourable Minister, rising from your response, it is shocking that only 106.4 million was allocated to the investigative directorate within the MPA during the present financial year, and we as the ACDP welcome the additional funding, considering that the Zonda Commission made the scathing comments that the MPA's failure to respond adequately or at all to the challenges of state capture corruption points to a fundamental failure of a sovereign state function. And so we appreciate that very serious steps are being taken to enhance the capabilities of the MPA, of the investigative directorate, and we support the appointment of the new head of the investigative directorate, and thank you for correcting yourself in that regard. However, Honourable Minister, you indicated that the NPA still indicated a shortage of 1.1% billion rand. So clearly, given the hundreds of or the large number of cases referred to by the Zonda Commission, they will not have the private, they will not have the capacity to deal with all the matters. Will the Honourable Minister support those requests for additional funding from National Treasury to ensure 
that successful investigations and prosecutions together with the private sector are instituted in terms of the Zondo Commission recommendations. Thank you, Honorable Strath. The Honorable Minister. Yeah, thank you very much. And um, thank you for those words, uh, Honorable Swart. Uh, we always gain a lot of insight from um, your inputs. And uh, as you have said that um, you had raised this issue in the previous uh, financial year, hence this response to capacitate the ID and all the relevant um, institutions. Um, while the capacitation has been in a very large scale, but as you have said, there is still a need, um, as, um, as uh, I've said earlier, about the issue that we may still need more funding. Hence, we are exploring the issue of the RDP fund, which is there in government, which uh, in the form of the current solidarity fund that um, we have used during the crisis of COVID. It is clear that um, we may need a, a fund of that nature. Hence, we are looking at the RDP fund with the, with the National Treasury because of the volume of work that will definitely go to the to all the law enforcement agencies, uh, not only the NPA, because um, as you are aware, this uh, relates, it, it's almost like a relay effect from investigation by the police or the SIU and then um, to the NPA and to the justice system, the courts, and uh, later the correctional service. So all that, that whole value chain needs to be capacitated to be able to respond adequately to this. And then um, I can assure you that we are exploring all avenues with the National Treasury. And we are also uh, uh, cautious because um, with all the avenues that we need to explore uh, in terms of the RDP fund and uh, of any kind of uh, donor funding that may end up coming into the space, we need to ensure that the independency of the NPA, which is sacrosanct, is never or must, may never be compromised. Whatever happened must still be within what the constitution um, allows in terms of the independency of the NPA and in terms of the NPA Act. So hence, this uh, task become a bit complex in engaging with the National Treasury, the Department of Justice, and also the, the NPA itself. And one of the mechanisms, as I've said, is to look into some kind of an oversight committee, which will then ensure that whatever that might happen, it is still in line with the, with the act so that we don't have a fallbacks and all the matters are handled properly, including the finances that are intended to help the NPA. Uh, you can be rest assured, the fact that we have uh, engaged with the National Treasury to have additional funding, it's a clear political commitment from this government that we want to support the work of the NPA, the IG in particular, and also all the law enforcement agencies to be able to follow through and implement all the recommendations of the Zondo Commission of Inquiry. And we will continue to do so. Thank you. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Second supplementary question, the Honorable N.H. Masego Jele. Thank you, House Chairperson. Minister, thank you very much. You have already partly answered uh, my question. Uh, indeed, the Zondo report will present an opportunity to many aspirant prosecutors and young legal practitioners who have joined the legal profession. 
So my question, Minister, to you is that has the department considered ways and means of empowering uh, these young practitioners in implementing uh, in the implementation of the report? Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honourable Member. Honourable Minister. Yeah, thank you very much. Yes, um, we have, and uh, hence uh, there is an aspirant prosecutor training program, and also there is continuous uh, training trial advocacy within the NPA, and um, sometimes using the, the Justice College to continue to empower um, these um, uh, prosecutors who are, as, who are coming up within the ranks of the NPA but also in an on-job training uh, of uh, matching the, the, the young and the skilled and experienced prosecutors. But we have also emphasized to the NPA and also the state attorney that where they use a section 38 or even if it's internal within the NPA, the, 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 the parties involved in any matter must reflect the demographics and the diversity of our country. The previously disadvantaged um, uh, individuals, in particular black practitioners, must also be given a fair opportunity to handle very complex and forensic um, uh, matters so that we are able to empower also uh, black practitioners in this space. They also gain skills and exposure. And um, also the mixture and diversity can always um, enhance the work of any law enforcement agency where there are skills coming from different backgrounds and from different demographics. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable Hon, that supplementary question. Yes, thank you, House Chair. Minister, given your admission, which is of course quite correct to say that the fiscus will never be in a position to supply the funds that's needed to, to deal with the, the number of cases which will come from specifically the Zondo Commission. And given the fact that the investigative director has a lifespan of only two years left, and your, your response to a previous question to say that from time to time, Section 38 may be employed by the NPA to source critical expert skills. Do you, would you not agree that the time has now come to allow, in line with the donor funding, for Section 38 to be employed in order to really address prosecutions coming from the Zondo Commission. Thank you, Honourable, Honourable Minister. Yes, uh, thank you. Um, indeed, um, as we speak now, there are prosecutors that um, I have approved as the Minister for, for in terms of Section 38, that are currently doing work for the ID or from for the NPA. Uh, honorable members will have seen some of the senior practitioners who are practicing in their own right, handling matters. Some of the matters have been on TV in the last two weeks or three weeks. There have been many senior counsels that um, are, as we speak, working and uh, helping the work of the ID on these complex matters and then in some aspects of the NPA. And from time to time, when the NPA do come to us, where funds are available and also confirmed by the National Treasury, we approve the Section uh, 38 uh, skills as per what Honorable Hand says. We continue to do so, and we continue to help them to, to be able to acquire these skills. And um, 
on the issue that he has um, said, although not as a question about the lifespan of the IT, that um, he has said um, it will uh, expire in the next two years. Indeed, um, that is also an issue we are currently considering because uh, these matters are clear. They are going to go beyond two years. So we will need um, a, a, a structure that is going to evolve organically into a permanent structure to handle these matters as we move forward, including some of the corruption matters. And we're also looking at what is, has come as a recommendation from the Zondo Commission in terms of a, a corruption, um, a procurement corruption uh, institution. Um, so we are looking at all those factors to look at what then should be the permanent structure that must handle all these matters um, going forward. It's something on top of our minds. And we intend that by the time the president comes to parliament to report on the recommendations um, of the Zondo Commission, he also brings uh, the recommendation as to what are we going to do with the permanent um, structure in this regard. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Uh, the Honorable Yako will ask the last supplementary question. Thank you, House Chair. Mr. Lamola, the extent of crime identified by the State Capture Commission is wide and debilitating. That notwithstanding, it is possible to agree that it is only the tip of the iceberg and that our country is still being milked dry even today by criminal networks that go very high up in our government. How will you ensure that the NPA does not lose sight of criminal networks currently active in the country, capturing the state and laying to waste our public resources? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Minister. Yeah, thank you. Although it's a kind of a fake question, um, I will try to attempt to respond. Please answer the question. Answer the question. Honorable, Honorable Mkalipe, please. Don't do that. Uh, thank you, uh, Chairperson. Indeed, it's a vague uh, question, but I will attempt to respond. The the, 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 this government has committed to deal with the PPE uh, corruption that emanated during the COVID-19 situation. And I have reported here uh, that um, all the courts that the president said were going to establish has been established. Full people at very senior and high ranking have appeared in that court. The special investigating unit and also the special tribunal has uh, taken back monies uh, in the tunes of millions of rents back into the fiscus, which is a clear commitment by this government that there must be no corruption that goes unnoticed and that goes unpunished and that goes unattended to. So all issues that come to the forefront or to the front are attended to without any fail or without any delay. Hence, you will remember that the um, all the, 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 the procurement issues that emanated from the PPE scandal were also put uh, forward in the National Treasury website where anyone could scrutinize who did what and how did it happen, which was the first of its kind and the highest level of transparency. So there is no one who is hiding anything from the government that is led by President Ramaphosa. He wants to see transparency. He wants to see people of South Africa getting value for their money. If a money is intended to build a bridge, that money must build a bridge. If a money is intended to build a school, that money must build a school. That is what president wants us to do. 
And he also emphasized that then through then uh, the, 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 the accounting officers in various government departments and also the AG, we must work more on preventative measures so that the preventative measures are put in place so that there is no money that is stolen. Because um, to deal with the prosecution and to throw back the money is expensive than to prevent. So the focus has also been emphasized that there must be preventative measures and there must be prevention of corruption so that it does not happen. People must get value for their money. And where it has happened, it must be punished. Thank you, uh, House Chairperson. Uh, thank you, Honorable Minister. Question number 27 has been asked by the Honorable V.C. Baba to the Minister of Defense and Military Veterans. The Honorable Minister. Thank you, House Chair. We can confirm that uh, all the Hebron Alpha 2B drug that was stored at the South African Military Health Services Depot was returned to Cuba on the 22nd of January, 2022. We further confirm that all the vials were accepted, delivered and accepted by the Cuban officials. We have no report that any of the vials expired in our hands or on arrival in Cuba. This consignment left together with the routine flight transporting the Cuban specialists and technicians on their annual vacation to Cuba. On their, on their way back, the same flight brought back the South African students for their break home. The use of this routine and scheduled flight saved the department the cost of chartering a special flight to Cuba. I was also asked about how much it cost. That flight, which was scheduled to take the Cubans home, cost 11.5 million. Um, on the second question, um, the vials, we will remember, were returned because the ministerial task team, as well as the Auditor General, recommended that we must return them. We must also note that at the same time, the Cuban embassy had sent us a, a note verbal that they urgently needed 500,000 for their own use for their citizens. Lastly, we are still engaged with the Cuban government on this transaction, because you will remember that we had received more vials than what we had paid for. And when that has been worked out, we will come back to the House and to the members to say how much, whether we still owe any or we don't owe any. At this moment, this is as far as I can go, House Chair. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. The Honorable VC Baba for the first supplementary question. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Honorable Chair, House Chair. Uh, thank you very much, uh, Minister. Uh, to the extent that the SNDF has repatriated uh, the drug as per the recommendation of the ministerial uh, task team, uh, whether the events leading to the repatriation of the drug, including the repatriation of the drugs, of the drugs themselves, 
would not damage the country-to-country -country, uh, relations. And whether the minister has considered putting in place a plan to repair the relations. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Minister. We have indeed considered ways to continue with the cordial relations between Cuba and South Africa. We will remember that, in fact, Cuba did not offer us the drugs, that the South African Medical Health Services had approached using the provision that a chief of the National Defense Force can and must protect the force. The fact that this particular inclusion on the provisions for the chief of the National Defense Force has never been tested before in this country, I think is something that we must explore. Now, using that provision, the National Defense Force then approached the Department of Health and SAPRA to facilitate. We also know that the relationship must indeed be cured because when SAPRA gave the National Defense Force permission to take 10 vials out of that consignment for voluntary testing, they took those 10 vials and they gave it to a soldier who was very sick with COVID who could have died. He took a risk and that man is walking around. So the drug and the reason why we need to work on curing this relationship is important because indeed the drug was not useless. We do not know the extent of how useful this would have been had the processes within South Africa not been too convoluted, had the request, and I'm not speaking on behalf of the National Defense Force, but had SAPRA and the Department of Health, and I'm not casting aspersions here, but when you follow the timelines, when the request was made, when the responses were made, had all of these things been done, we would then have been able to say to Honorable Chetty, indeed, that drug is useless. But at this point, we cannot say, Honorable Chetty, that that heparin is useless. We just don't know as South Africa because that drug was not given the chance to go through the tests within this country. And so, yes, we are looking at ways so that into the future we do not have an issue when anything that comes, not from the, the Western countries, is not rejected simply because it comes from those who were with us in the trenches. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Minister. Uh, the second supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable S.J. Mare. Thank you very much, Chair. Minister, the smuggling of the mentioned Cuban drug with more than 240 million rand is embarrassing and wasteful beyond imagination. The findings by the AG and SAPRA corroborate the fraud and transgressions by the Defence Force of every conceivable medicine import law and regulation. Last year, you stated that heads must roll and those responsible must be held accountable based on the relevant legal transgressions, so far nothing has happened. Minister, will you commit yourself today again that whoever was complicit 
and part of the illegal and fraudulent decisions and activities, irrespective if they are the current or the previous military command council members, and if prima facie evidence exists, even your predecessor will be held accountable and charged accordingly, or will the politically connected enjoy impunity? Thank you very much. Thank you, Honorable Member, the Honorable Minister. Because, because there, is, there is a question that deals with that, but I will respond right now. Yes, indeed, I did say hateful role. And I will, as I will respond later on, I will reassert that those who were responsible will face the disciplinary measures within the department. But I'm also saying that had the process been fair, been timeless, we might not be where we are today, where we have to take the members of the National Defense Force who in their own thinking were panicking and were trying to protect their troops into this. As to whether it was smuggled, that is where the DC is going to go because then we accept that they should have applied um, to bring the drug in. So no, we're not going to be protecting anybody. I don't know what happened there. That uh, uh, report is pointing us as to who must be uh, brought in front of the DCs, whether they are in the department of uh, DOD in the military or whether they are civilians or in any other department, we are going after that. So nobody will be spared simply because um, we, we, they are privileged. Nobody is privileged, but we are saying that maybe, just maybe, sometimes this country must not just respect Western countries, it must respect any other country that can put something in the truth. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. The first supplementary question was asked by the Honorable WTI Mafanya. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank you, Minister. We have been seized with this matter for quite a long time. And we all agreed that um, this was illegally done because there was not, we, we needed to know who gave the authorization that those drugs should be imported into the country. And as the Minister says, she is seized with the matter. We also want to know who gave authorization of the drug to be taken into the country illegally? And what is the minister going to do about it? Partly the minister has asserted that, but I would like to get more further clarity on that. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Minister. Honorable, Honorable Chair, yes, indeed, this matter has dragged. Um, and that was because we were waiting for the ministerial task team to finish off with their investigation. You will also remember that when I first came in, a draft report was given, and we now do have that report. That report is what will take members into, um, into DCs, and that report also says that it we need also to be following up on other people other than just those who were in. 
I cannot name people right here, right now, because I did not come here with a list of names of all implicated, but, can, but I can assure you that nobody who did anything that was not properly authorized and timeously will be uh, left out. I beg the House in, indulgence to get time to process the, those names and whatever before I can publicize them. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The last supplementary question from the Honorable Alf and Trebe Pool. <laughs> Umbuzon Jerusalem, Fushano Amoti. We are Uguti Le Miti, Yadetala, Ukwenue in Fangano, a condemn of Begela Ungeniswa, we meet here in Piron Partizan. Thumper Umdanga Buzan, Jaguan Uguti, Upuman Muvalo Muti, Ubusu Bonagala, Naparati, Besebe was Tayaraba. About South African Health uh, Production Products uh, Regulation Authority. That was it. The Honourable Minister. Well, <laughs> the last part I didn't get properly. Just so that I respond accordingly. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Chair. Mr. Now it's the fact that uh, these uh, medicines of protein bypassing the authority, which is responsible for the, 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 the approval of any medication that comes into South Africa. And the question is just simple as that. Why were they brought in behind uh, the, 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 the authorities? Thank you. Honourable House Chair, that is exactly the basis of the case. Why there was no patience to get the authorization and who had given that authority. That is what that um, disciplinary uh, uh, action will take. Um, as I said, that is why I was asking the House to indulge so that I don't blather out people's names without uh, taking proper legal um, advice on that. But that DC is just centered on that particular case, on the illegal bringing in of the drug. Because had the processes been followed, we might have had Sapra say, no, it is not good or it is good. And if it is good, go ahead and procure. And so we might not be here. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Honorable Minister. We now go to question number one, which has been asked by the Honorable B. N. Aram to the Minister of Police. The Honorable the Minister. I hope my permission of talking sitting is still... Uh... It still stands, Honorable Minister. <laughs> In terms of Section 64E of the South African Police Service Act 1995, Act number 68 of 1995, 
The functions of the municipal police service are traffic policing, the policing of municipal bylaws and regulations, which are the responsibility of the relevant municipality and the prevent, prevention of crime. A municipality police service does not have legislative mandate to conduct criminal investigation or to gather intelligence information. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Honorable Aaron, you still have the first supplementary question. Thank you, Chairperson. And thank you, Minister, for the answer. I think the answer is clear and always has been, Minister, that a unit that is not established within um, the mun a municipal police service, as both the City of Cape Town and the Western Cape MEC, or former MEC, he was fired yesterday, um, claims um, this unit is not part of the municipal police service, but it is gathering crime intelligence. It is engaging with foreign police services, for example, the United States FBI. It is engaging with Interpol. It is doing profiles of, high, uh, of notorious organized criminals in the Western Cape and Cape Town, uh, where they are profiling these individuals. Um, in a city where organized crime is increasingly a problem. And Minister, we know that organized crime relies on connections between gangsters and criminal networks and police units and rogue police officers. So where we have a very high organized crime prevalence in our province and in our city, we have a rogue police unit acting parallel to the police service or the Hawks, like some sort of third force, conducting criminal investigations that it has no mandate to do and, and engaging with the FBI and the Interpol. So, Minister, how are we to crack down on organized crime when the head of this unit is currently being prosecuted for exactly that, tampering with police dockets in order to hide evidence to prevent prosecutions taking place when he was a police officer in, in Wittbank. We have in Cape Town a rogue police unit that could be aiding and abetting crime in this province and in this city, and it is going, carrying on unattended. So, Minister, what are you going to do to shut this, this unit down or make this unit a municipal police service that is accountable at least to the MEC for uh, community safety and this parliament. Thank you, Minister. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Minister. Hey, yeah. Eh? <laughs> uh, Chairperson, no doubt that uh, some elements of government, other provincial or local, have been a constitutional delinquency in Western Cape. No, no doubt about it. Uh, there have been constitutional delinquency. But we have a responsibility of integrated governance. Uh, as you say, Honorable Member, one has gone through this. We have decided to take an easy way, a soft landing way. The Minister of Police, with the management of the police, we have met the Premier of this province and the Mayor of this city to say, but this can be. You can't be having the intelligence. By the way, intelligence world is highly regulated. There are three 
entities that are allowed by the constitution to do that. If any deviation from those three, which is police, defense, and, the, and if any is only, is written only the president can do that deviation and appoint a person, no premier, no mayor, no nobody can do that. So we have met, there, there are ways of increasing the capacity of the city of which we will welcome. But the city of Cape Town, together with the province, they've put one billion extra by their bypassing the legal structures. For instance, if they've taken these law enforcement and all these people and put them in the metropolis, which falls under all laws, like your IP, your, like your secretariat, like your Houteng, like your, like your, Debe, your Deben, like your Tswane, like your Grulin, but they've decided to bypass that. And they have something that they call SSIU. I, I only know only one SIU. They have theirs, they have intelligence collection. That you need to talk about is a unity of 59 people headed by the person himself that is getting arrested and disappearing in court. So you, 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 you can't have a special unit. You can't have a special unit that has all illegal powers headed by a person himself that is supposed to be appearing in court and all that. But as I've said, Premier and the Minister of Police and Mayor, we have agreed that our legal departments, led by Kamane, Advocate Kamane from my side, will come together and brief us in the shortest possible time to say these things are illegal, stop them. Should they not stop them, we'll take it from there. But we didn't want to use the hammer uh, on this one, though we understand there is a lot of illegality. We didn't want to use the hammer. We have used this soft approach. We hope everybody will be part of it and it will be resolved peacefully and amicable. That is the question. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Minister. The second supplementary question will be asked by the Honorable Siabi. Honorable Siabi. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Honorable Minister. And let me acknowledge your answer. Minister, having heard what you said in answering, as an answer to the question, what is your view or attitude towards municipalities having as one of their functions, gathering of intelligence? And uh, whether such a function at the municipal level is in the interest of the Republic of South Africa. Thank you, Chair. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Minister. Well, Chairperson, the Partially, that has been that has been answered. Uh, there is there is only one municipality uh, police that have that uh, have uh, grabbed that grabbed that capacity for themselves beyond the constitution. Is the Western Cape? Uh, is 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 Cape Town? Is Cape Town only? And and there are other things that uh, the as I've said. They could have done things in a proper way as the constitution and all that says. For instance, Metropolis in this city, 
there are only 694. But the so-called law enforcement, there are 2,017. So, yes, they are are bypassing the law. For instance, law enforcement. Law enforcement do not fall under IP. They do not fall under... So they have no structure that they fall under to be able... No, to be... There is no structure. That's why when a member of the of the law enforcement here gunned down the member of the South African Police Service, we had a problem. They gunned down the member of the South African Police, this law enforcement here. And we had to run around like headless chicken trying to find out which structure that would, thanks God, that has been found, have been found uh, uh, guilty. But not only that, they, again, they've just repeated a few weeks ago, they've gunned down another person on the street. So they tell you that they are rookies, and that's how they behave. That's why we're calling on both the province and the, 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 the municipality here to fall within the law and pursue these things. We do agree. Put money, let's work together to reduce the crime and all that. But you are not going to reduce the crime by breaking the law. Thanks. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. The third supplementary question, the Honorable O.S. Terrence. Chairperson, thank you. Chairperson, um, you know, it's quite, it's quite obvious that the Honorable Heron has got a lot of information and hopefully between him as a responsible citizen, let alone an MP and a minister, they are going to do the right thing. It is clear that the Honorable Mr. Heron and his good party do not want the DA to succeed in the Western Cape. Now, in terms of Section 64EC, the Police Act, the prevention of crime is also one of the functions of a municipal police service. Now, Minister, would you agree that effective crime prevention uh, inevitably necessitates a certain degree of crime intelligence gathering and investigation of criminal cases especially in our country, where the National Police Service is failing dismally. Thank you. Thank you very much, sir. The Honorable Minister? This question is even worse because it comes from the former police officer. It comes from the former police officer that is supposed to understand is supposed to understand and uphold the law. He should have he should have learned and read his constitution. How these things are, are, are there? If he, he was not just a police officer, he was a general, and, and and he should really understand. But I'm not here to correct the general the general that was crooked himself, and uh, he knows what he left. He knows what he left on the way. And all that kind of stuff. So I'll, 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 just, order, I'll just end there's, there. There's a point of order, Honorable Minister. There's a point of order. What is the point of order, Honorable Member? Chair, the Minister's just cast an expression on one of our members. He, he knows the right procedure. He said that. Uh, I'm not telling you what he said. I'm not going to advertise what he said. <laughs> Thank you, Honorable Member. Uh, Honorable Minister, could you please withdraw that? I added myself so that we can continue. Well, well I, I, I'm done. By the way, 
This member that is talking was a member of the uh, of the supply chain management, and he left too many police stations not built. He was moving all the time. They're trying to find out. We we none at the moment. They can fix things. Thank you very much, sir. Thank you, Honorable Minister. Um, we're going to the last supplementary question asked by the Honorable Shembeni. Uh, thank you, Chair. Yeah, I'm partially answered by the Minister, but according to Section 205, Section 206, Section 207 of the Constitution, it makes it clear that policing is a national competency and that no policing function should happen outside of these constitutional prescripts. While municipalities are allowed to have their uh, so-called law enforcement, this must never rival the work of the South African police services. The city of Cape Town has been attempt attempting to federalize policing for a while. Why have you allowed this to happen? What risks are there for a municipality as ideologically retrogressive as the city of Cape Town is to have their own mini police rivaling SAPS minister? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Shambani. Honorable Minister. Not only that, it's all they are causing trouble. Uh, for instance, there are many places where the South African police service member, they come after they have shot people special. The, these law enforcement that are almost much bigger than the metro, which is supposed to be legal. They are not used for crime prevention in the African areas. They are, they, they are used to push people and all that. That's, that's, that's the thing. Quite several places where they go there and start trouble by the time the South African Police Service, who are, 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 are trained as POP to deal with the people on the ground, they come, they come very late when the trouble have, have, have come. Uh, you know what happened to that uh, uh, naked man that was taken then and paraded naked. That were not police. Those were the very same law enforcement, which they tell you that they have no human, they have no human understanding, they have no human respect. This is a call we are making. Let's sit down and correct these things. Otherwise, otherwise, we are not going to have the Republic of Western KPA where they are doing things that they are not supposed. Maybe you are correct, Honourable Shembe. Maybe you are correct. Maybe you are correct. Honorable, you are correct, Honorable Shambin. The members here must help this province by reading 205, 206, 207. They will understand what the Constitution is saying. They are really, really, as I started, they are constitutional delinquents when it comes to this one. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Minister. House Chairperson. Honorable Member, I hear you. 
You had made a ruling, House Chair, about, uh, about two minutes ago where you asked the Honourable Minister to withdraw um, his aspersions that it had cast on the Honourable Member. He did not do so, and he knows that the correct procedure is to bring in a substantive motion, which he has not done. So please could I ask that that be enforced? I will make a follow-up on that, Honourable Member, because we have already passed that, but I'll, I'll make a follow-up uh, on that so that the appropriate action is taken and followed up. Thank you very much. Uh, we now add uh, question number 32, which has been asked by the Honorable Moss to the Minister of Police. Thank you very much, our chairperson. <coughs> Go ahead, Honorable Moss. Then we lost you. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I didn't. I did not hear him. Did, uh, have we lost Honorable Moss? Honorable House Chair. Honorable House Chair, Dombela. Yeah, Maybe it's the, the noises that were here. The minister has not responded yet. Thank okay, you. But, but, but has Honorable Moss got a chance to, 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 to... No, he will ask after the, will, okay, the, okay. the minister okay, is responding. Okay, okay, sorry. Thank you very much. Honorable uh, Minister. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Uh, Chairperson, uh, the answer is not very short, but either not too long. There has been a recent spike in multiple murders in the Guazulu Natal province. The South African Police Service Provincial Commissioner in Guazulu Natal has established a task team to deal with the investigation of the multiple murders. The task team is based at Guazulu Natal Self-Provincial Office and is led by the senior officer. All the multiple murder cases dockets have been centralized to the office of the provincial commissioner for investigation and monitoring. The investigating team later presents progress on the investigations to the provincial commissioner, Wazul Natal, on the monthly basis. Total of 189 suspects have been arrested since April 2021, and several firearms were also recovered during this period. Bail is opposed with regard to all the arrested suspects. All the seized firearms are sent to the SEPS Forensic Science Laboratory, ballistic section, for testing and linkages to the crimes. The Provincial Commissioner Wazul Natal is closely monitoring progress made in the investigation. The following preventative measures have been implemented by the SEPS to ensure the safety of the communities and preventing Guazulu Natal from becoming a blood field where the people die in numbers. The crime threat analysis and the crime pattern analysis are analyzed to identify hotspots areas. Hotspots are patrolled by means of high visibility blue light a patrol. Stop and search operations are conducted to retrieve weapons of choice and arrest offenders. Condon and search operations are conducted in problematic areas, e.g. hostels and other hotspots areas. Informers are utilized to assist in defying criminal groups. 
crime prevention operations are intensified in KwaZulu Natal province. A drug and firearm task team was established to focus on specific crimes. Crime intelligence information is operationalized. Awareness campaigns are held to educate communities. Multidisciplinary operations are conducted. The National Liquor Act is implemented to identify and close illegal shippings. Partnership with private security companies have been enhanced. Community policing forum structures are enhanced at the district and police stations level. Sector policing is effectively monitored. School safety patrols are conducted during the peak times. School safety programs are conducted when the schools are operational. The investigation of gender-based violence and femicide crimes is prioritized with a special team called CSF. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Honorable Minister. Honorable Moss. Thank you very much, Chairperson. Thank you very much, Minister, for your comprehensive reply. It is very informative. For those who don't understand it, I hope you take this, I'll take note what the minister was responding on my question, because it's also for your constituency, you can assess your constituency. Now I want to go to do the follow-up since the implementation of the preventative measures listed in part B. What has been the situation on these measures um, ways to bring control. Thank you, Honorable Moss. Honorable Minister. Chairperson, for some, for some reason, uh, we have detected the increase of uh, abuse of, of drugs in the province in Wazulu-Natal. And the, the violence has increased in three spheres. One is political killings that everybody knows about. Uh, secondly, is this uh, mass killings that based on criminality, mostly drugs and illegal firearms. And three is what happened in July, uh, where there were racial killings around the place called Phoenix. Uh, we have formulated, we have formulated special teams to respond on, on that one. Uh, the political killing led by uh, General uh, Kumalo, the, the, this one of drugs led by Kennel Nobo, uh, the Phoenix and surrounding racial killings led by Prikatia Tele. And they, all of them, they've done the very good work. One good work on the prevention is that they've arrested the lot of perpetrators. As you see, the Sarat in 87 is not, is, is only uh, for those people that are linked with drugs and, and uh, drugs and illegal firearms. And then the 301 on the political killings have been arrested in the province. And uh, six, 69 plus 27, 69 is in Phoenix arrested and 27 uh, uh, in the neighboring uh, town of Verulam have been arrested. So we believe that 
Should those people be arrested and be sent in prison for a long time, it will be part of prevention because most of them, especially in the political killing, they are across the board. You find them killing for cash ice, you find them killing for taxi violence, killing for politics, and killing for being thieves and all that. So we are working on these identified groups as prevention, but also we are creating the visibility and quick response on these on these matters and these areas. But we are also enhancing working with the communities as a preventative measures. Thank you very much. Uh, uh, thank you, thank you, honourable, on, thank you, honourable minister. Uh, the second supplementary question by the honourable O. Esther Blanc. Thank you, Chairperson. Uh, the minister came out, you know, with a typical shotgun approach. And, uh, you know, hopefully by now, you know, the murder rate is quite a bit down and under control. Uh, Minister, can you maybe tell us, since your, the introduction of this measures that you mentioned, this whole newspaper of them, what is the percentage drop in the, in the murder rate in KwaZulu-Natal? Thank you. I want also a comprehensive answer. Thank you, Chairperson. Thank you, Honourable Member, Honourable Minister. I don't, I don't think I heard him well. Uh, what, 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 what he said, but I heard at the at the tail end that uh, what is a is a percentage of of matter rate drop. It it hasn't happened, Chairperson. Uh, we are having the problem, as I explained, that it has shifted. That's why we are coming with with responses of creating these uh, of creating these units. But I have said that we have a very high rate of arresting uh, these gangs and these people that are killing people there. And uh, more you put them in there, uh, more of them doing life sentences. Quite a big number. Uh, but we we believe uh, that working together uh, with the other segments, uh, working together with other segments in sending people in prison, it will it will help us. Uh, the police and the prosecution working together there, we will be able to bring uh, to bring these matters and other general crime down. But if the responses are good and the responses continue to happen. Thanks, chair. Thank you, Honourable Minister. Honourable Shambeni. I will take it, uh, House Chair Mkalipi. Well, okay, Minister, I'm the responses. Well, Minister, the responses are not good. You know very well that uh, not everyone, especially the Indians, the tax Indians who killed African people in Phoenix, not all of them are arrested. Can you elaborate on that fact, Minister? Secondly, you know the police stations such as Zamawoti, they don't have resources to operate with as well as the main police station, which is Umchepeni, which is a neighboring police station with Phoenix area, whereby people were killed in numbers. As a result, those people have to run back to Phoenix, where the racism is very high and they are not protected. Can you elaborate on how many Indians so far have been arrested? What are you doing to address the issue of resources in Umchepeni and at Amawoti, Minister? Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. Honorable Minister. Uh, Jefferson, in Phoenix, we have arrest criminals. Uh, Minister, please. Yes, that's point of order. Chair, what is your point of order, Honorable Member? 
Sure, just in terms of how we address people and um, populations, I think we must be fair. We have uh, Indians that live in our population, and I think we, they are, we owe them a debt of respect. We owe everyone a debt of respect in South Africa. Uh, please, if we may, address everyone correctly and politely. Thank you. Are you referring to who? Order, Chair? Uh, wait, Honorable, Honorable Karipi. Uh, Honorable Member. I haven't detected any, any wrong so far. Can you continue, Honorable Minister? Honorable Minister, can you continue? Sorry about that. Chairperson, the, the two stations that uh, the Honorable Member uh, talks about, the MJPN is one station that we have given the new uh, station commander and working around uh, the resources. Uh, the Amawati one, uh, which is her, is her ward, ward 53, where she comes from, uh, we had a meeting uh, the very last Friday uh, in Teguini, and it has been agreed that uh, we'll have to work hard that that station in the next, in the next 12, 18 months is built and is fully functional. It stops being the, the 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 reporting station. So there are things that are happening there. Uh, in terms of arresting, we have arrested criminals there, not African or Indian or white criminals. Uh, we have just arrested criminals, and, uh, and and they'll be tried as such. If somebody sees them as uh, the honourable. Um, Kalip is saying that's good for them, but the police, uh, we deal with criminals. Uh, we identify them much later if we need to, but we don't. We just look at the criminal and we deal with the criminal. Thanks. Thank you very much, Honorable. Uh, Honorable I'm not answered. I have a specific questions to the minister regards to Phoenix killings by Indians killing black people. I asked the minister how many Indian stacks have been Wait, arrested no, no. so far. So please, uh, no, minister, no. can you answer me directly no, no. as well? Honorable member, I think the honorable minister has answered the best he could. I, 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 I think he has answered the question and what he has said so far with, with regard to that particular case is enough. Sorry, and, uh, order, Chairperson. I think the point here is that to refer to an entire group of people as criminals is what we are saying is the problem and what we're asking you to rule on. The reality is that the member cannot talk about how Indians must be arrested. The minister has eloquently said that criminals must be arrested. And we're asking you to please rule on the fact that we can't group an entire race group of people as criminals and, and that be allowed in this house. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable Member. May I may I respond to Honorable Kwafube? Are Honorable you going Kwafube. to recognize my hand, uh, Chair? I, I did. I did. I'll give you a chance. Thank Honorable Kwafube has raised an objection and I'm addressing it. Honorable Kwafube, on the basis of what you have just said now, I will try to find the, 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 the best possible response to that. I'll come back to you to that. Honorable, with that, Honorable Mukalipi, what's the problem? 
No, Che, we can't run away from the fact that black people were killed in July by Indians. There is a fact. So who killed those black people in Phoenix if it, it was not Indians? It is a well-known fact in South Africa that Indians in Phoenix killed black people. So we can't come here in Parliament and want Monster, to pretend the as the statements, statements, Kalipi, No one can intimidate me and call a point of order here while our black people were massacred by Indians in Phoenix. Indians are also black if you didn't know. Indians are not black winners, Mau Mau. Indians are from uh, India. That's why they hate you because of your mentality. Uh, IT, could you please remove Honorable Mkalip? Obscured by your red overall. Please. Uh, please no, Chair. Honorable members, can we please. Honorable members. Send any red overalls. Send any red overalls. Honorable Chair. House Chair Tombella. House Chair Tombella. Chairperson on the point of order. House Chen Tombella, there is a point of order in the house. Yes, Honorable uh, Sen. Yeah, Honorable uh, Chairperson, I don't think uh, you know we should be allowing this kind of racism to prevail in our parliament. I mean, Honorable Mkalipin knows that. The minister responded to the answer, and the usual practice is that when a minister responds, we accept his answer, whether we like it or not. Honorable Mkalipi's father, by the way, is an Indian. So I just want to say, Honorable Chairperson, we should move on because we are satisfied with the answer that the minister gave. Thank you. No, they were Indians. When I when I wanna sing. Honorable Honorable Mkalipi, is that Honorable Mkalipi again? I have requested. Honorable Tombella. Honorable Chair, I'm listening. Yes, Honorable House Chen Tombella, there is a point of order from Honorable Khadebe in the house. Okay, Honorable Khadebe, but uh, can IT remove Honorable Karipi from the platform? I have requested that. Honorable Khadebe, can go ahead. All right, thank you, Honorable Chairperson. I was going to rise on a point of order that one, you have already made a ruling around this issue. Number two, we have to revert back to the constitution of the country that we cannot incite racism in this country. I think that you must come back on that one because the member is already out of the platform, but you must come back and rule on that because really we will all be the, the constitutional delinquents if you can allow that to stand up. Thank you, Chair. Uh, I have already said, Honorable Khadjabe, those kinds of comments are totally unacceptable and we cannot use this platform that we have to hell insults or racial uh, distortions. It cannot be accepted. I have ruled on that, Honorable Khatemi. And can we move on? Uh, we're supposed to be, where are we, Honorable, I mean, front uh, table? Honorable Chair, where are we? It was supposed to be the last supplementary question by Honorable Majosi. Yes. I want to be there. Honorable, Honorable Majosi is next. Yes, Honorable yes. House Chair. Thank you. Thank you, Honorable House Chair.
the Honorable Minister, how many of the 12,000 new SAPS recruits promised by President Ramaphosa in the 2022 SONA will be deployed to KZN? Please provide full details as well as a timeline for their deployment. Thanks. Thank you, Honorable Member, Honorable Minister. Uh, Order in the house. There is a lot of noise in the house now. Please allow the minister to respond. Th thank you very much. Uh, this honorable member likes details. Chairperson, uh, I, I did answer this question uh, originally asked by Honorable Whitfield uh, about the deployment of this. We said most of them, this young group, will be absorbed by the special units. That's what I said. Uh, for instance, at the present moment, we've got 5,500 POP in the whole Republic of South Africa. They are supposed to be 12,300. So if you look at it, even the whole 7,000 can be taken by POP alone. And then we've got a special task force that will have to be put the young blood because those, those units, as you grow, uh, your body begins to tell you that you don't belong to this unit. Your NIU, your TRUT, uh, the, this, this group of people, most of them, uh, we must remember that if you join the, the South African police service, you must be dead and young uh, so that, so that you, you, are, you are able to fit uh, in, the, in the heightened in the identity of, of response and the work that you'll be doing. Therefore, uh, Honorable Member Machosi, most of them are not going to go to the province, they're going to be absorbed on the special units. Uh, those will be able to respond, especially the unit that all experts are saying we need to improve on it, which is POP. And then as we as we have been given the leeway of, of 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 training going forward, then we begin to put them uh, on the on the on on the station level and and the provincial uh, and the provincial level. Uh, also, the 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 population of provinces does determine who gets bigger uh, bigger share of resources. We all know that Gauteng uh, is the most populous uh, province. Followed by followed by KZN, followed by uh, Western Cape. Uh, as so, uh, the distribution will be according to what the state South Africa will be telling us soon. Uh, so we are able to use those numbers for distribution of resources around the country. Thank you very much. Thank you, honourable members. Uh, saying that we would not have enough time for the next category of questions, I want to announce that the time allocated for the questions has expired. Outstanding replies received will be printed in Hansard. That concludes the business for the day. The House is adjourned. Thank you. Thank you, Jefferson.